When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, it's been a whole week. We were in Indianapolis. We were all over the place. Andrew was ahead. We were behind. But we're all back together in Cincinnati as the NFL Combine is in the books. And the offseason continues as we're nearing free agency. But lots to break down from last week's Combine. Welcome into another offseason edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gillis here with you today. Mike Nislik has a little extended weekend, and he will join us on Tuesday. Uh, but Andrew, uh, we were talking to you, at least we being me, I was talking to you on Friday. We talked a lot about the tight ends because that was who you mostly scouted out when you were in Indianapolis Friday. You did stay an extra day because, like I told the listeners Friday, you are just that cool. Like I, I can't get on your level. I wish I could. It is what it is. But um, I know you talked to more players, including offensive linemen, uh, which is a big, obviously, topic of discussion for the Bengals. Like we've talked about this whole off season. But you know, there's the big names like the Peter Skaronskis and uh, you know all those kinds of guys, like the Broderick Joneses. But then you also have the Anton Harrisons, who are the more project type players we've talked about. Before we kind of get into just the overall takeaways you had from the combine, from the offensive line standpoint, what stood out to you and where do you think the Bengals could benefit if they lean towards offensive tackle at pick 28? Yeah, um, you know, one of the guys that I was kind of hoping to see or hoping to talk to was uh, was Dewan Jones. Um, he obviously was – he was not made available. Um, he uh, He had some medical stuff that came up. It just took longer to uh, to kind of get him through. Uh, you know, I didn't really bother with with Dewan or excuse me with uh, Paris Johnson. Uh, there, I didn't really see a point in, uh, in in trying to go talk to him. Um, you know, Darnell Wright, uh, he he kind of impressed me. I thought he had a really funny moment where you know he pulled out he pulled out his phone and and talked about every team that has met with him. And, and I think I tweeted this out at the time. It would have been more simple if he just tweeted the teams that did not meet with him. Uh, the Bengals were on that list. Um, so, I, you know, I think it, you can look at that. He views himself as a left tackle in the NFL. Uh, Anton Harrison, um, same kind of thing. You know, they can play left or the right. Right now, you know, I made this joke on Friday. Guys want to build themselves as versatile uh, you know, you want to talk about all the different positions you could play. Um, you know, for example, Cody Mock, um, kid from North Dakota State, uh, 6'6", 303 pounds. You know, he, to me, when he weighed in and you kind of took his arm measurements and you took his hand measurements, he gave the impression of being a guard or a center. Um, I don't really view him as a tackle, but, you know, he was uh, he was obviously pretty personable, pretty impressive. So I, I think that that's kind of the word you kind of have to sift through a little bit uh, versatile. Everybody wants to tell you about all the different positions they could play. You know, Darnell Wright kind of let it, you know, he kind of, he kind of told the truth a little bit more than some of the other guys, I think, where he said, you know, I, I view myself as a left tackle. I want to play left tackle, um, but, you know, but I can play right in a pinch. So, you know, to me, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it just kind of solidified tackle is, is one of the positions that, that we were talking about. 
Um, you know, we, we kind of knew that, okay, uh, they might be looking at a tackle anyway. And, um, you know, I think free agency is an option, but uh, they are certainly doing their, their due diligence in the, in the draft. That's for sure. Yeah, Mark is such an interesting name. Mark, however you say it, forgive me, Cody Mark. But, you know, I noticed his testing fell a little bit below some of his counterparts, but he wasn't that big of a margin, at least from my point of view. I mean, he showed a lot of precision and pace during those drills that they did with the tackles on Sunday, which were some of the last ones they did. I mean, doesn't matter how many front teeth he doesn't have. Doesn't matter where his drop off is testing wise. Like, also, by the way, before I get to what I was going to say, do you know why he doesn't have the two front teeth? Have you heard that story? Yeah, yeah. Somebody asked him when uh, when we were at the podium, and basically, he I think he said seventh grade. He was he was playing in a basketball game, and he just his two front teeth just went right into somebody's head uh, <laughs> when he was chasing a ball, and he lost the teeth. And he's like, you know, I've tried retainers, I've tried braces, I've tried everything you could possibly do. And then he was like, I just reached a point where I was like, you know what, forget it. And uh, so he was just like, I'm just going to rock the no front teeth look. And, uh, you know, now he's like, now that I, you know, I'm going to have some money, maybe, you know, I'll do that. My mom wants me to to, to have my two front teeth back. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty funny story. And like, you're watching this guy and you're like, okay, so this is a North Dakota State offensive lineman. Like this is a, this, this story fits. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about Cordell Volson. Like, that's his former teammate. So, I mean, even if he doesn't end up on the Bengals, Volson could probably talk more about that. But what I was trying to get to is that overall, I think that, you know, the term plug-and-play starter comes to mind. I've seen that kind of term come up a lot from, like, a lot of the other analysts, you know, including Daniel Jeremiah, who I think talked about him a little bit. And, I mean, like you said, whether it's guard, tackle, maybe even center, I think regardless of where you put him, he, he still carries that title. We'll see what the Bengals think of that, and we'll see how much higher his stock gets with those performances he had, like in those respective drills. I mean, you know, I think an honorable mention I want to give is to Blake Freeland. Um, the reason why is because I talked about him hard to believe almost a month ago with the senior bowl, you know, and that was one guy that had a good senior bowl week. I mean, the dude's six, eight, so he's taller than most offensive linemen. I mean, there's not many that are that tall. I mean, like Cordell Volson six, seven, but it's not six, eight. I mean, every inch matters at that point. Once you're six, four and above, um, looked like he did pretty well. And I think that that's the good thing about th- this draft is I know the focus is the tight ends and the corners and the running backs and rightfully so. But I think as far as like best position groups, that's not either of those three. I think you can give an honorable mention overall to the tackle position because, I mean, we mentioned some of those names. Um, I think other names that you could mention are Darnell Wright from Tennessee. I think he clocked just under five seconds in the 40-yard dash. Uh, Paris Johnson from Ohio State, you know, mentioned Peter Skaronsky. I know it's Skaronsky. The the concern with him is, you know, he doesn't have a very long wingspan for someone his size, but, you know, he kind of talked about it. He wins blocks with his feet, not with his hands or his arms, you know. And not that that doesn't matter, but I think he looks at himself as more of a – top to bottom, you know, tackle in terms of like how he can move versus what he can do with his hands. Um, And I don't know that either of those names or many of those names will be available for the Bengals. That's the tough part about this is if they want to prioritize that, I think that's very difficult. I know we mentioned a lot of those free agent names last Friday when we last talked. That's going to be determined, I think, just really a matter of time because free agency is in a week and we can talk more about that later this week when we think about where should the Bengals go with the offensive tackle position. But 
kind of just in general, Andrew, maybe this is a little bit of a broad question here, but, you know, we talked about tackle. We talked about um, tight ends. Darnell Washington, by the way, that's a guy I want to talk about in a little bit. But, you know, what was one of your biggest takeaways in terms of position groups? Like in terms of players who performed, who underperformed, like what do you kind of take away and what stood out to you just from this week overall? Now, you're saying the player, like the the actual combine then. Yes. Um, yes. Hmm. You know, uh, man, like I know this isn't Bengals specific, but it's Bengals adjacent. Um, I think Anthony Richardson's performance really kind of put me on my toes a little bit for uh, for what to expect from uh, the quarterback position really in this draft. You know, you kind of look at the landscape of the AFC and is there going to be a balance of a balance of power shifting? Because I don't see it, but you know, maybe if if these young guys and maybe the crop next year ends up in the NFC, you can have a discussion. But you know, the I, I am curious what happens because Anthony Richardson testing like he did, I think, kind of put him up on some radars that maybe he wasn't before. You have the ongoing Lamar Jackson stuff, which who knows what's going on. Um, you would assume that they're going to tag him, but you know, even if they're going to give him that non-exclusive tag, he's still sort of available if a team wants to do that. So there, there's a lot of different things that could happen at the quarterback position. But if Richardson's going to put himself up there, I think that that kind of changes the way that the that the league can look here because you know you think about it, Bengals might be facing a brand new quarterback. Like the Ravens want to win now. And if, if they move on from Lamar Jackson, this is not a move to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to rebuild here. We're going to kick this can down the road. No, the, the, the Ravens are saying we're want to win now. So I would expect that, that quarterback, whoever that might be to be a, uh, to be a guy that you can try to win with now. Um, so, I mean, it's just when you test at a level like he did, I think that, I think that it can matter for a lot of different teams just because if he hits, Maybe that changes the narrative because Josh Allen was one in a million for that to happen. But you hit another guy like that where kind of, you know, up and down, you know, not so consistent in college. You get another guy like that who's just has all the athletic tools and then turns into a stud. I think you've got a uh, I think you've got a nice little conversation on your hands about how to evaluate quarterbacks. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Richardson because that dude was a freak in terms of his testing. I mean, his 40 and a half inch vertical leap, a 4-4-3 40 yard dash. I mean, I understand CJ Stroud probably had the better throwing clinic, but, you know, at the same time, I think when you look at Richardson's numbers and what he put together, um, that's just impressive. But and to go back to the Lamar Jackson point, I mean, you know, this is crazy that you're saying this because like Ozzie Newsom, Ravens executive VP said, you know, if the bang, not the Bengals, I'm sorry, the Ravens, I know we're Bengals centric. The Ravens are going to franchise tag Lamar Jackson by tomorrow. If the deal's not done because the deadline for teams to utilize that tag is going to be Tuesday, March 7th at 4 PM. So if for whatever reason, Ozzie Newsome and Eric DaCosta in that front office can't come to a deal with Lamar Jackson. They're going to hit him with that tag, but it's a non-exclusive one, like you said. So if other teams try to trade for him and the Ravens don't match it, you just lost Lamar Jackson. Um, and it's a very stressful situation for both sides, I think, no matter how it ends. But, yeah, I mean, the Lamar Lamar Jackson situation is going to be something to monitor. And I want to talk about that later in the show. So glad you mentioned that. But I think another interesting takeaway that I had as far as just uh, positional groups with the combine and such is 
there is not only a shortage of running backs like we talked about, but there's no shortage of running backs that can catch the ball. I mean, I think Jameer Gibbs is probably going to be one of the best pass-catching running backs. You know, he really had a good combine where he showed that. He posted the second-best 40 time of anyone in his position, 4.36 seconds. So when you look at the explosiveness in his first first and only year at Alabama, uh, he backed it up with his numbers. And so I think what you see on film – matches what you get numbers wise and vice versa. But I mean, even B. John Robinson, like I know he's more of a guy who will just get away from you no matter, you know, who's with him or who's around him, whether it's uh linebackers or the secondary, but at the same time, I mean, he, he's got some good hands too. And I think uh, you look at some of those other guys like Devin a chain, who almost, almost wanted to try to break John Ross's 40 yard time came really close to doing it. I think that's what's good, and this is maybe where I kind of bring it back to the Bengals is like no matter what happens with Joe Mixon or Samaj P. Ryan, if you don't want to prioritize running back in the first round, if you want to go second, third, fourth round, like either of those names, even like the Zach Charbonnets and guys like that from UCLA, you can get somebody who can give you that efficiency that the coaches like Brian Callahan have talked about. And if you want to get someone who can catch the ball like Joe Mixon did, because in defense of Joe Mixon, even if the Bengals cut or restructure his deal, he was still having, you know, career numbers as a pass catcher, you know, in 2022, even when he missed two games with that concussion. So, um, you know, whether it's with Mixon or in lieu of Mixon, um, you're you're going to be in good shape if you're the Bengals, if you're looking for someone who can catch the ball. And I mean, again, I'm not saying you're going to get a home run hitter, but if you just want a simple, efficient back with hands, uh, I think that's someone you can get. I mean, and that kind of takes me to my next question, Andrew, is, you know, you think about that 28th overall pick, um, and this is kind of goes back to what some of the coaches talked about, but when you combine what the coaches talked about with the numbers that we've seen, the performances that we've seen, even some of the ones we haven't even mentioned. Like if you were to get the 20th overall pick and rank the four most, well, maybe this is more narrow. This is better. If you were to rank the most, the three most, three most important positions for the 20th overall pick, like the most important being tackle and then tight end and then corner, like what would you prioritize the order of importance in terms of position groups for that 20th overall pick with where things stand right now right after the combine, right before free agency? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, in terms of uh, positional needs, I would say tackle one, pass rusher two, and corner three. Um, You know, I understand that, you know, you might need a tight end. uh, And if, you know, maybe if Darnell Washington's there, you know, you can certainly – you can certainly talk yourself into that. If Michael Mayer's there, you can talk yourself into that. There's a, there's a couple different guys at tight end, but I think where this team is at tackle, you you need something for the short term, maybe, and you definitely need something for the long term. Um, I think you're kind of you're, you're covered in the shorter term with the, with a pass rusher, but you know, I, like I said before, you, you can never have enough pass rushers, and and it's kind of the same thing with DB where. Like, look, I, I understand that, you know, you just drafted Cam Taylor-Britt and you liked what you saw progression-wise from him at the end of the year. Uh, but Shelby Awuzie is getting a little bit older. He's getting on the, you know, the back half of his 20s. Mike Hilton's nearing 30. Uh, and frankly, you need depth at that position. So, you know, I can certainly see a, a, a kind of a world unfolding where, you know, you pick a guy at 28 who you say, all right, you know, you're going to do, you know, like I said on this podcast before, the Bengals wanted to do with Cam Taylor Britt, 
where you draft him, you kind of bring him along throughout the year. Well, then all of a sudden an injury changes things. And then, hey, well, at least you have a second round pick ready to roll. And I think you might be able to do that at corner. But, you know, just kind of looking at it now, I think offensive tackle, just because you might need a starter at that position, um, you know, depending on health, you kind of look around the rest of the roster and, okay, you know, you can do something with pass rush. You can do something with this. You can do something with that. But I think uh, tackles kind of far and away the, the number one need right now. I agree with you on that. I think, yeah, if you're ranking positional groups of importance for that specific number 28 overall pick, I think tackles number one. I'm going to switch it up a little bit and say edge rusher slash defensive line is number two and then cornerback at number three. Um, you just really laid out the case for tackle. I think you're going to get to a point where, like, even post-free agency, which we can talk about later today and this week, um, even I think with what no, no matter what happens there, whether you get somebody or not, whether you cut Lyle Collins or not, we can go over that debate over and over again. But regardless of that, like you're going to need somebody because you got two guys going into a contract year and there's a good chance you might not keep one or both of them. Regardless of all the other optics with Collins and what happens in free agency, if they do or don't get anyone, you need that depth now. Kind of like they did with Jackson Carmen. I know he was a weird case because he didn't play much his rookie year and you know, his second year was uneventful until he showed those flashes at tackle when Jonah Williams went down. But maybe you do something like what you wanted to hope to get out of Jackson Carmen. On top of having someone like Carmen there, you could say, okay, we think we're getting something out of Jackson Carmen. We can get another guy who can try to be what we wanted Jackson to be those first two years where, like I said, it was mostly uneventful for just you know, play reasons and for obviously emotional maturity reasons, which we've, you know, talked about in this podcast and that I've written about. But the reason why I think you put the line, the defensive line priority wise at that position instead of cornerback is because this is such a cornerback loaded class that, you know, whether it's the Emmanuel Forbes's or the Clark Phillips's or the, well, Keely Ringo, I think would be gone by that point. Uh, it, because I think he raised his stock really well. That's another player who I think had a great combine and proved himself on tape with his uh, performance in the combine. I think that guy's gone, but like you got so many other options beyond that pick that you can solve that need in the second, third, fourth round. But let's say you know you don't want to get a tackle or the best tackles are taken and there is like an edge rusher available the reason why i put that as the second highest priority is because i think beyond the first and second round like unless you want a project like you want a khalid kareem or you want like a cam sample which the Bengals don't need that i mean they need somebody who can get to the quarterback now like if you want like a more refined version of joseph osai or you want someone like cam sample but not in the project sense like that might be your chance to do that. And I mean, there's a lot of names we could go through. We've talked about some of them, but like, I think some names that come to mind, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I was actually joking with, uh, with Mike about this, Nolan Smith, who put up those freakish numbers, who I think had the best performance, not just on the defensive line, but one of the best at the combine in general. If for whatever reason, some teams just sleep on this guy and he's available at 28 and you're thinking, okay, we'll deal with tackle later or we dealt with it in free agency. You run to that man. You run to him and grab him because Trey Hendrickson is not going to be there forever. And Joseph Osai and Cam Sample could use someone in the mix. And so, hey, maybe that's a guy that you could get. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen because I really do believe the dude's going to be way gone by 28, but whether it's him or 
or just, you know, again, and really any of the best ends available at that point, I think are worth more than getting the best cornerbacks available because the market is so broad for corners that you can get them second, third, fourth round. You know, I mean, like, it's just something that I think they should really consider. I mean, you got like Lucas Van Ness, who had a great combine. I think that's a dude who's going to see his stock rise on the edge. But if you're looking more like interior, for example, um, at least if you're thinking at that first, you know, first round pick, you know, 28th overall, you know, I don't know if he'd be available either, but Kalijah Kansi, who people are comparing to Aaron Donald, which is, I don't want to disrespect Aaron Donald because you're talking about a first bout Hall of Famer, but Kalijah Kansi, Moro Ojomo, Zach Pickens, like those guys might go from that mid second round to that, you know, early second round, late first round tier. Who knows? But again, I think that's something that will be settled more um, in free agency. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little more free agency within the Bengals, outside of the Bengals' realm in the AFC North. And we're going to talk a little Saturday Night Live because you guys know where I'm getting at here and some more free agency news around the league and what that means for the Bengals. All to come right here on the Strictly Stripes Podcast. Hey there, it's Muhammad Ahmad from the Strictly Stripes Podcast. You might be wondering, what exactly is Cincinnati Football Insider? Well, it's a community of fans who want the inside scoop on the Bengals and a direct connection to the Strictly Stripes podcast and the reporters who cover the team. And that would be me, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nislik. It works like this. Andrew, Mike, and I will text your phone a few times a day with breaking news, analysis, and our insights on the Bengals. It's the inside scoop on what we're hearing, and we'll give you the inside word before it even hits social media. Being an insider is the best way to participate with the podcast and get in on special events and Zoom calls with me, Mike, and Andrew. And the best part is you can text us directly. It's a great way to cut through the clutter of Facebook, Twitter, other social media, and avoid the trolls for just $4.99 a month. Still not sure? Well, just try it for two weeks, and if you don't like it, you can text the word STOP at any time, but you won't want to cancel once you join the community of hardcore Bengals fans. Here's the best way to get on board. Go to cleveland.com slash Bengals, click on the blue banner at the top of the page, or if it's easier, text 513-940-4193. It's a great time to try the two weeks free, as we'll be reporting live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Plus, we'll be covering free agency on the way to the NFL Draft in April. Give us a try for two weeks and see what you think. Just text this number again. It's 513-940-4193 and become an insider today. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So Andrew, Mary Kay Cabot, the Browns insider, as I like to call her, who does an amazing job uh, covering the Browns, especially in a time like the offseason, she reported that a league source told her that Jesse Bates would actually be comfortable with the idea of playing for or not playing for, excuse me, but playing with Deshaun Watson. Um, this is what Mary Kay Cabot reported per a league source. Um, we've already said before, Jesse Bates is gone. That's inevitable. It's funny that she mentions that because James Rapine from uh, Sports Illustrated kind of hinted that maybe the Browns are a landing destination for Bates. They just, you know, basically said they're going to release John Johnson by March 15th, which automatically opens up a need for Bates. So they're going to have the money saved even after they lose that dead money to pay Johnson. But I mean, kind of two parts to this. Do you actually think Jesse Bates would go to his rivals up north in the state of Ohio? And could you imagine Joe Burrow having to go against Jesse Bates twice a year? Like, do you think that'd be an interesting matchup that might be underrated if this really does come together? I mean, it'd be something to talk about. It'd be cool. Um, 
you know, I, I, I'm not sure it's necessarily with Jesse. I'm not sure it's necessarily playing with Deshaun Watson thing. Uh, I think it's, you know, can you see yourself in Cleveland? Because, you know, the thing that Jesse Bates wants right now is to be paid like, you know, he feels like he needs to be paid. Like, you know, he, he mentioned that after um, after the loss to the Chiefs, he was kind of sitting around going, you know, I want to be here. I'd love to be here, but I'm not in a position where, you know, I can leave tens of millions of $10 million on the table, tens of millions of dollars on the table, whatever the quote was specifically, you know, but it yeah. was, you know, he said, I can't leave that type of money out. So I think to me, he's got to go to, I think it's kind of looking to a place that he thinks can win, but also kind of will pay him like, like he thinks he deserves to be paid and probably frankly, like he does deserve to be paid. So, you know, I think when you look at the landscape of the safety position, it's not the best in the world right now. Uh, Teams are certainly kind of investing more in corners, but if Jesse can find a place that he thinks he can win at, that he thinks he can get paid, more power to him. And, um, you know, I think it'd be a cool story, but I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you have the one story and it's cool. And then after the second time, you're like, okay, this, you know, this makes more sense because it'd be a little bit different if it was the Bengals released Jesse Bates or something like that. Um, or you really thought a deal was going to get done. It, uh, you know, it has felt like Jesse Bates is leaving the Bengals for about a year now. So you can kind of get that sense that, okay, well, this is it. So I, I think him and another team's uniform isn't exactly going to be jarring. No, not at all. I just think what would be so jarring is if it's a division rival, which up until the Bengals beat, you know, the Browns in December, like that's a team that just had the Bengals number, like even before Joe Burrow got there, like right when Joe Burrow got there. And so, you know, you think about it, like the Browns, you know, they're going to get a full year with Deshaun Watson. Like they're still going to have Nick Chubb from what it looks like. Got Amari Cooper, you know, DPJ, Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, I know this is a Bengals podcast, but like I mentioned this because, I mean, this actually goes back to the idea of how tough is the AFC North going to be. Like I really do believe if this does happen, if, you know, the predictions of Mary Kay Cabot, it will – Predictions of James Rapine with Mary Kay Cabot's reporting backing that up. Like, if that actually does come true, then that would make a big difference for the Browns, at least in terms of matching against the Bengals. I'm not saying, oh, you get Jesse Bates, you're winning the AFC North. No, but it, it definitely makes you more competitive because he is the top safety in the free agent market for a reason. There's a reason why the Browns got rid of John Johnson because they felt like he wasn't matching what they were paying him from what it looked like. Um, and so you still have Miles Garrett. Uh, Jadavian Clowney is going to be out the door, but you can replace him. You know, you still got a good secondary with Denzel Ward and Martin Emerson and Greedy Williams. And so if you add Jesse Bates to that mix, I think that's not going to make the Browns a pushover whatsoever, especially when they play the Bengals next year. Uh, I know the Bengals fans hearing this are going to kind of rip me a new one, but like, again, I'm just talking in terms of competitiveness in the AFC North. But speaking of competitiveness and free agency, the big news in the NFL this morning is that Derek Carr has officially found a new home as the Saints are going to sign him to a four-year deal, as reported by Adam Schefter. Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofalo uh, all this morning talking about that. But there's something that I just cannot reconcile myself with, Andrew, and it's that they are not only paying Derek Carr a $150 million deal, it's $100 million guaranteed total, and he's getting $60 million of that $100 million guaranteed at his signing. Again, four-year deal for $150 million, $60 million right when he signs. Is this just 
does this make sense to you? Because no disrespect to Derek Carr. I get it. He's a four-time pro bowler. He took the Raiders to the playoffs twice with no quarterback before him since Rich Gannon had been able to do that in Oakland slash Las Vegas. Like, But at the same time, I don't believe he's worth that much money. I mean, he's way out of his prime. He's going into his 10th season. I just don't think that money's worth it. Like, do you think the Saints made the right move here? And I'll explain why I'm bringing this up in terms of what this means for the Bengals. But, like, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I don't think I agree with um, with why the, with the Saints making this deal. Uh, but I'm also not going to say that it's necessarily, like, unfair value for Derek Carr. I, I'm not a huge Derek Carr guy. I think the reason I wouldn't make that trade or, excuse me, signing if I were the Saints has a lot more to do with kind of the state of the franchise. I mean, who knows what's going on with Kamara. It uh, sounds like they might cut Michael Thomas. Um, I know you have Chris Olave, but like this to me kind of feels like a multi-year thing that you're going to have to rebuild on the fly, and um, or rather than rebuild on the fly. And it seems like they're trying to do the second thing. But like you look at kind of where his deal is at. I mean, it's ninth in total value, ninth in average per year, tenth, uh, excuse me, tied for tenth in guaranteed value, and twelfth uh, uh, at fully guaranteed. So. To me, like if you were kind of drawing where where Derek Carr is going to land, that's about right because I understand right now maybe you're thinking, ah, I only think he's the 16th best quarterback in the league, whatever it is. Uh, well, you know, that's going to change a little bit um, because somebody, whether or not it's the Ravens, is going to pay Lamar Jackson. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if it's the Ravens or the Panthers or whoever. So Lamar's going to get paid. Um, Joe Burrow is going to get paid. Uh, Justin Herbert's going to get paid. Joe Burrow's get, like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. They're all going to get paid. So like Jalen Hurts is going to get paid. So you you, you can he, you can kind of just start to envision a world where okay, well now it's fifteenth in value and fourteenth in this, and and then it starts to make a little bit more sense. So you know I I don't think necessarily the value is bad. I just wouldn't have invested that in that particular player, and I don't think Derek Carr's bad. I just don't think it was a good fit for that team. You know, I think it would have made a little more sense if it was like the Jets. You know, you look at the Jets, they're a team that kind of has, you know, some some nice defensive pieces. They've got a skill position group that's ready to roll, and you just need the quarterback. And Derek Carr, I thought, would have fit nicely there. Um, but again, I mean, you know, he got paid in New Orleans. Um, good for him. He's going to make that. But, you know, I, I don't think that means anything for Joe Burrow because, you know, Joe Burrow is going to make uh, whatever he wants, essentially. Um, I don't think that means anything for Lamar Jackson either because Lamar Jackson. You don't think so? No, because Lamar Jackson was always going to make more than Derek Carr. Um, Lamar Jackson is worth way more than Derek Carr. So you kind of look at, you know, where, where the, where this leaves the quarterback landscape. I'm not sure it does a ton just because it's, you know, not to say smack dab in the middle, but after a few guys get, get taken care of, you know, Bur- let's say Burrow, Herbert, and Hurts get taken care of, then you're kind of at a middle-of-the-pack quarterback contract. And I think that's about where Derek Carr is. So that, to me, struck me as fair. But, you know, Lamar and Burrow and, and those guys, those guys are going to be towards the top of the market, if not the top of the market. So I, I, I just don't think it matters a ton. Yeah, I don't know. I think the $60 million guarantee that signing was a bit much. I don't know if they should have given him that much money up front. 
Maybe you can make an argument that okay, the 150 total is fair. I would have yeah, maybe they've, gone they've a got a bit. ton of they've got a ton of cap problems too. So uh, uh, you same. know, I haven't looked into it a ton. I haven't looked into what his contract looks like, but there there are uh, circumstances to navigate with with that cap hit because I think like I remember reading a tweet that was like in 2023 it's really low and then it gets pretty high and then you can kind of get out of it towards the end. Like there, there's a void year and that like there's there's a bunch of weird salary cap stuff they had to do. Yeah, I mean, the way Ian Rappaport reported was that, you know, someone told him that, quote, you know, they were going to try to make it work because, like you said, they have one of the worst cap situations in the league. I think they're, like, bottom five amongst teams in cap space. And so, yeah, like, are you going to structure it to where you set up years where the cap hits not as bad as others? Like, are you going to cut Michael Thomas? Like, are you going to have to make some other pressing decisions in free agency that – you almost have no choice to make at this point because you've already pretty much wedded with Derek Carr at this point since it, it basically looks like it's going to happen. I mean, he he himself tweeted and put on Instagram, who that with the little Saints logo. So um, it's going to happen. It's already pretty much done deal. So my question for the Saints is can you well, – I mean, they're going to have to, but like how can you make the cap space work? But no, I mean, you mentioned the part I was going to get to to where it relates to the Bengals is like, you know, Burrow's going to get paid. I don't think that changes whether he gets paid or not, but does it change how soon he gets paid? No. Does he look at that and say, oh, well, he got that much guaranteed or in signing. I want this much in a signing bonus. Like, do you know, does it affect like some of the parameters, like the signing bonus, or do you think that's kind of negligible at this point? Yeah, I, I don't really think that that, that, that really matters. Cause like I said, you know, you look at Derek Carr's contract and um, everything, you know, it, even like I said, even if you think it's a little bit high right now, um, Wait a month, and we'll see where we're at. Uh, I, th- I think this, you know, when 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 this off season is over, I think we're probably going to look at that contract as as middle of the road. And Joe Burrow is not going to compare himself to a middle of the road contract, and neither is Lamar, and neither is Herbert, and neither is Hertz. And and, and I just think that when you kind of look at that all together, there's not really much to take from it. Yeah, I just again, I think if you're talking from a opinion standpoint, I just think that is crazy. But look, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you talk about the Jets who are interested in him. The Saints kind of have a interesting defense because one of the arguments I've been hearing is, oh, you know, he didn't have like a highly ranked defense when he was in, uh, you know, Las Vegas, but he has a better defense, like better total defense in New Orleans. So. We'll see. I don't know. Like, we'll see if the defense actually backs him up in that case. But, you know, I wanted to kind of wrap up with uh, something fun here before we kind of set the stage for the week. But I don't know why I didn't bring the substitute on this podcast. And I wish Mike was with us because he probably would be, like, giddy right now. But Travis Kelsey, for those who don't know, was on Saturday Night Live uh, over the weekend on Saturday, of course, and his family was there, including his brother Jason. Jason actually made a cameo in one of the little skits they had. I think Creed Humphrey was in that same skit, his teammate in Kansas City. I don't believe any other players or teammates were uh, in the show, but first of all, I got to ask you, did you even watch it? Have you seen any any of the clips of Travis Kelsey? I have Kelsey? not. I saw like one what? skit that he did that was like something okay. about male friends or something. I saw it like 10 for <laughs> like a minute, and that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> So what you're referring to is like I might get it wrong. It's like the the skit was like having a straight friend. So it was basically like um a guy who was pretending to be like gay, for example, and he was like, Oh, if you need someone to talk to, here's a straight friend that you could talk to. And Travis Kelsey was just like wearing like a jacket and jeans, playing video games and like 
being sarcastic. So I think it was like a straight male friend or some skit like that. There was a no- there was one that you should look at this on YouTube. This was probably the best one in my opinion. He was like presenting someone's funeral. Like it's almost like he was like the the keynote speaker of a funeral, if you want to call it that. It's probably not the right word, but like he was speaking on behalf of like uh, someone who pretended to pass away. And he basically got like the literal dead person and like turned them into like a robot with like a a speaker, like putting a speaker inside of the person. I know it sounds weird, but you have to watch to understand it. But like there's a speaker in the person and the person's almost like speaking as if they're alive, but they're not. And the people there are like, you got our grandma and made her talk. And he was like, it's pretty cool, right? I mean, again, it sounds weird. Like I'm probably not even describing it the right way, but. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, just go watch it. Go go to YouTube, type Travis Kelsey Saturday Night Live. But have you like seen Saturday Night Live skits? Like, are you again? This no, is more I'm not of a huge nice Saturday Night Live person, it? just in general. Uh, I don't have anything against it. I just, I just have never really, have never really watched it. I'm the same way. I have not really watched it or seen it either, but. Um, I know, like, I'm trying to think, Charles Barkley, I believe it was like 20, I think 2013 and 2018, I think there were two separate times he was in it. Those are both pretty good, like the whole trespassing one uh, the first time, and then the second time there was like the last call skit. Like, I mean, those are pretty good, but I think if we even compare that to Travis Kelsey's performances, I think he may have had like the best pro athlete cameo of anybody who's been on SNL, like. Maybe in the last 10 years. I don't know about all time. I'd have to do some digging because I'm only 24. But I think in the last decade, he's had one of the best, if not the best, performances for a pro athlete. But, I mean, do you think the guy is funny? Like, some people think he's funny. Some people I think mean, he's I, annoying. I've seen like, the clips of he and his brother on the podcast, and there have been some stuff that's, it's a good that's podcast. pretty good. So, um yeah, see, I mean, he seems like a seems like a funny guy. Yeah, he's but like, yeah, he, he certainly seems like in in the stuff that I've seen, just interviews and stuff like that. He certainly seems like one of those guys who, like, okay, once once football's over, he, uh, I think he's got a career kind of doing doing a couple other things in his life. Yeah, I definitely think acting is one of them. Like, I think he should just go into Hollywood, or maybe if Hollywood is too much, I could see him doing like stand up stuff, like like more similar to what he did with SNL in New York, but. I want to actually ask you one last thing related to that to put a bow on this. And I, and I think this is going to make you think a little bit, but who is the Travis Kelsey of the Bengals from a personality standpoint? Who is their Travis Kelsey? Like who would be the That's best to host answer. an SNL skit? Um, or just, I mean, even in general, like who has the kind of personality and charm that like Travis Kelsey has? If the Bengals even have a guy like that. Oh man, that's a good question. That's um, a tough one. I'm trying to think. I don't like, know if there's a one be? for one. The way that I'm thinking of this is um I think my my number one guy would be Ted Karras. Um Yes. I think yes. I think Ted would do a really good job. Like the way that I was thinking of it is like who could host SNL? And I feel like Ted Karras could do a really good job of that. Um, you know, because he he pretty much immediately came in and was beloved. He like, I mean, if you talk to him, he's, he's really, really smart when you talk to him. Um, he, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy just kind of having regular conversations with him, not just, you know, not always, um, you know, not always on the record or not always, you know, in an interview setting or whatever like that. So uh, I always like Ted. I think he's a pretty funny guy. He's a pretty personable guy. I think he'd do good. Um, I think it's a good one. 
Uh, I think Cam Taylor Britt would be good uh, just because yeah. I think he's the happiest person I've ever met. Um, let's see. Who else? Uh, Jamar Chase would be funny. Yeah, I think though you just gotta he think see, of guys. He seems with, a little bit timid though. He yeah, seems Jamar, a little bit I don't think with, uh, Jamar. I don't know if I see him as the like the stand-up comedian type of guy. I don't. Yeah, I mean he's he's a good presenter. Like he was at the NFL Honors. I think he presented an award there. But like, if we're talking presenter, yeah, I think you can absolutely put Jamar Chase on there. But like, if you want him to be like giddy and like loosey doosey like Travis Kelsey, I don't see it. And it's not that like Jamar's not outgoing or confident. I just think like like Travis Kelsey's very loose. Like you know how some people say, "Oh, when you're drunk, you're just loose and confident." Like I mean, I don't think Travis Kelsey needs that. Like he's he's as loose as it gets. Like which is why I think it'd be interesting to see how he is when he's drunk. But I don't know. I just like I think Ted Karras is the best one because he's the most charismatic. He's the most outgoing. He's a veteran. He's older. Like you know, he's only a couple years younger than Travis Kelsey. Cam Taylor Britt's a good one. I think if you give him a couple years, like if he builds like a brand and a name and a personality, I absolutely think he could get there. And maybe Jamar could too. Maybe Jamar is uh, still, you know, he's only in his second, third year. Maybe he'll break out of that timid shell a little bit. But, man, I was going to say like Joe Burrow, but with sarcasm. But I, I do think, I do think if Joe Burrow was like, Maybe not as shy, because I think he has a little bit of shyness, which is not a bad thing. I think it's just his personality. If he wasn't as shy, I could see him putting a good attempt at that, but who knows, man. I mean, Travis Kelsey's so unique, though. I can't really think of many other players who are like Travis Kelsey. I think that's why he got that nod on top of being good at what he does. I mean, like he said in the monologue that he opened the show with, like, oh, I learned that you can get kicked off the football team for smoking weed and still win two Super Bowls, which I thought was the best part of his opening statement. But that was a lot of fun to watch. And stay with us because we're going to have a lot more fun this week when we set the stage for free agency, talk about some big names, maybe play out some hypothetical scenarios that could play out for the Bengals next week and beyond and what that means for the draft and much, much more. But once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Amar. We'll see you Tuesday.